So welcome back. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of uh, trying to um, trying to channel the Buddha, Kuan Yin, and Mr. Rogers. And uh, I wore, you can't totally see it, but it's, it's a Mr. Rogers sweater. So that's our uh, spirit animal for the uh, evening here. Um, so what do I want to say? Um, uh, as, I, as I watch my mind on the one hand in, in moments like this, um, it can feel like the Dharma is, is, uh, is irrelevant. Uh, it's um, maybe a kind of luxury or a diversion from the task at hand of, of meeting a public health uh, challenge. But on the other hand, uh, the Dharma, of course, in moments like this can be deep medicine, but um, in, in a certain sense, we want to understand like, okay, what's the scope of practice of the Dharma? What is, what is its reign? And for the most part, my feeling where my own heart has been landing on this is that uh, it's mostly, I feel like it's a time for epidemiologists and virologists and public health officials and treating physicians. And it's really, uh, in a sense, their time to shine as, as bodhisattvas. And uh, science at its best can be um, a very beautiful expression of compassion. And so uh, the Dharma, while it may, be, it may be the only medicine for certain species of suffering, in my life, there are certain strands of suffering, certain species of suffering that seem untouched by anything but Dhamma. But that fact does not mean that, that it's the medicine, that the Dharma is the medicine for all ills. And so... Sometimes we'll say that that dukkha, you know, suffering, uh, is is an interdisciplinary problem, right? Um, we we in assuming that the dharma is the medicine for all ills for all moments, I find that actually distorts the dharma's power. It uh, uh, doesn't honor its its scope of practice in a sense, and so. So this is a time to actually lean on everything else that's been developed that's beautiful in the heart, like science being uh, one expression of compassion. And so I saw today that uh, the Gates Foundation's directing $100 million to coronavirus, and it is planning to offer home testing kits and uh, make some some real uh, gestures towards uh, towards our well being, and I I just found that very very touching. And um, and there are many scientific teams that are racing literally around the world right now, racing to find ways to keep people safe. It's it's very it's very touching to me, or just as touching as any gesture of uh, Buddhist kindness too. And 
and we can see uh, that it is a very wobbly time for the mind and a sense of insecurity and fear and unreliability and the dharma might feel like like an afterthought in some of that busyness and anxiety but we want to reclaim the dharma in moments like this it is uh, it can be vital it can be vital the uh tibetan scholar teacher robert thurman said uh i think he was maybe chiding the somebody from the insight meditation tradition I uh, don't remember precisely but he said something like you're always talking about practice 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 when is the concert right and maybe we say like this is the concert yeah and we'll get through this together and get through it together on the basis of of qualities of courage and and care and sacrifice and intelligence um, this path this this dharma path uh, can be seen to be composed of at least two two sides there's the the refuge protection side of the path and then there's the opening side the the side of practice that lets the whole world into your heart and there are moments when we want to emphasize one side more than the other and the truth is to open to anicca to open to unreliability to open to vulnerability in a sense the mind needs to feel safe enough grounded enough i think of the kind of analogy of, of uh children children who are essentially protected from samsara protected from the blizzards of of change and unpredictability and vulnerability children who are protected from that um actually develop the kind of capacity so that when they do encounter a nietzsche when they encounter unreliability um as they age they're less destabilized by it because they've had in a sense a kind of a uh, period of time when when samsara's been curated for them right and we adults too we uh we really can't let the whole world into our heart when we feel brittle and ungrounded and so uh there are times in our practice life when it's really important to um to to find ways to create that sense of of refuge some sense of inner safety um seclusion even and so we say that the refuge of buddha dhamma sangha like what 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 actually what mind states what activities what support from others what social support leads to some sense of of uh, of refuge for you that's a that's a question and an inquiry 
And so in a sense, we want to be tracking the level of activation in our, in our minds, in our bodies, in the nervous system right now, because um, soothing is important. Soothing is important right now. When, when our body is, is agitated, uh, in a sense, the, the whole world looks different the view really becomes the kind of steam coming off the engine of agitation. And we don't, we don't notice this, right? Because it, 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 um, it, it's like the agitation sneaks in the back door and molds the view, but just settling down for even a minute, right? Even or sitting as we did for 40 minutes and just letting the whole system ground, you know, to let the stillness and the silence start to run through us. It, it, the world has not changed, but our perception of it most certainly has. And um, we get too entranced by the kind of um, this this agitation, and it, and it really is a is a kind of disservice to to our mind in these moments. So I want to say something about about uh, fear and anxiety and uh, what seems to be um, circulating through through our communities. Um, there's first a kind of want to acknowledge that that um, that fear fear at least seems very deeply woven into our biology um, that's been conserved across evolutionary time, and uh, we can uh, yeah we can mostly be grateful for that right we're we're afraid of fast moving objects we're afraid of cliffs. And that has largely actually served us. Um, but fear and anxiety are not identical. And there's a way in which um, we lapse into these more anxious modes of functioning. So here's a, 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 an anxiety researcher, Barlow, who wrote, um, at the heart of anxiety is a sense of uncontrollability focused largely on possible future threats, danger, or other potentially negative events. In contrast to fear, where the danger is present and imminent. In a way, fear serves its purpose quickly. And once we've done what we can do to uh, to be safe, um, what we often find is the momentum of fear continues, right? The kind of the the actions that it's meant to to propel us to take to do what we can to be safe, um, do, it doesn't satiate something in the heart, and what we can see when we look inwards is that we have a kind of redemptive hope in worrying we endow worrying with a lot of trust 
so this is uh, another another researcher, um, Thomas Borkovec, who studied studied Wari uh, for most of his professional life. He writes, when I'm worrying, I'm mostly engaging in thought or talking to myself. This thinking triggered by internal or external cues that signal danger primarily concerns the future and involves the anxious anticipation of and mental attempts to avoid the many negative events I imagine might happen. The consequence of any perception of threat is the activation of basic fight or flight reactions, motivating attempts to escape or avoid. Quite naturally, under these circumstances, I feel compelled to figure out how to prevent these bad things from happening or how to prepare myself for the worst. Worrying is a device that I believe can function to do this. Because I'm devoting large amounts of time to generating and attending to worrisome thoughts, much of my life is spent living in an illusion. So what's the value of worry? Uh, I'm not dismissive of all of it, uh, but what is its value and when does it outlive itself and become a cause for just more pain and agitation? It's it's almost like we're we're compulsively seeking a kind of a Nietzsche-free path out of samsara, and we can't find it, and so we keep ruminating. I'm noticing how we how it's maybe wise to to look at how we relate to to the news and, and how we, we follow that and how technology follows us in relation to this. And so on the one hand, it's obviously important to be informed and to, uh, um, to take good care, but uh, there's a way in which we're, it feels like we're almost trying to, to scratch the itch of our anxiety by compulsively checking and it's just amping up the system more, right? And so a question for each of us is like, okay, what's the the right um, dose of information, yeah? And it's not to live in denial or, in, uh, you know, live live without without looking clearly, but but we want to actually see the ways in which that would like this kind of hunger for information is a product of and compounds a kind of agitation, anxiety, worry. And some of what we're really asked to do is is to ride out the somatic intensity uh, when we feel that. And, And there's like a part of the mind that just doesn't believe that we can do that, that it's actually okay for the energy of the body mind to just be there. Uh, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't need to go into more compulsive action. And so we start to get 
get subtle about the kind of the cues and the, 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 the simple thoughts or the uncomfortable sensations that signals threat and then leads us to kind of chase uh, its tail in a way, but often just compounds the, the, the feeling of, uh, of being ungrounded. So Thich Nhat Hanh says that we, we, uh, we take care of the future by caring for the present. Yeah, that the, the way we actually, the, what we can do is now, and we take care of that with a sense of, of, um, of clarity and presence. And, um, you know, it's like we cannot, we cannot, um, yeah, the, the most we can do is interact skillfully with this moment, even though it feels like a part of the mind is like, compulsively reaching into the future so again this this uh, um, from Borkovec the, the only real information that's available is that which exists now when I'm paying attention to this information I don't have to judge it categorize it memorize it or think about how I might use it in the future I merely pay attention to it my information processing systems handle the rest there had better be a good reason for allowing anything to take me away from my ongoing moment-to-moment information processing given that such a departure would cause a disruption in this most important task that i have a task that maximizes the likelihood of my future adaptability and thus gives me a basis for having this kind of trust. We care for our future for caring by caring for the moment. In this, um, this predicament of, of, uh, of anxiety, um, we, we often feel like we're at a kind of fork in the road right that that famous uh, robert frost poem two roads diverged in a wood and i i took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference right? that's a famous poem with different interpretations and uh but uh but when i hear that i i actually it reminds me of the the experience that we have so much of the time in our mind that it feels like we're almost always approaching a kind of fork in the road that our our kind of intolerance of uncertainty each each kind of decision making moment feels like we're at like this new vital fork in the road before two roads that diverge right and you know, this is an important time and obviously health is at stake and, and there's, there's much at stake. I'm not, I don't want to minimize that at all, but some of what mindfulness practice has taught me at least uh, has been that there are actually fewer forks in the road than we think. Yeah. 
that as we approach each fork, real, imaginary, it seems so vital and so so um, close to our heart. But it, it it's like when we really look back, when we look back on a life, how many forks actually were there? So this uncertainty, this sense of, of threat, we to manage it, to manage all the the sense of these forks in the road, we think through all of the possibilities, but our emotional um, predictions, our predictions about our emotional state, how we're going to be, is actually quite biased yeah and so there's a there's a line of of research that's relevant for for moments like this like affective it's called affective forecasting how we project our how what what emotional impacts we anticipate what we um the ways in which we project future emotional states and um and what one of the kind of consistent findings from this research literature is is basically that we we overestimate the impact that things will have on our uh, the our emotional life yeah which sounds kind of amazing but but is is a consistent finding and another way of putting it is to say that um we we underestimate our resilience we underestimate our resilience this is one of the the deep lessons of a dharma life is that we 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 tend to underestimate the intensity of being human like just the the visceral quality of the first noble truth we underestimate this but we also underestimate the the capacity of our own heart yeah and i i can i can feel there's something stirring in my own heart around this and uh, i know i'm not not unique in that but i can i can sense the way the mind can collapse into um you know into some kind of anxious state and it can feel like you know, the attention just pools inwards and life feels small and contracted. We are bracing and the heart feels inaccessible. We live mesmerized by our uh, ruminations. And, and then there's this other side of like, oh, something, yeah, the the kind of beautiful qualities of our heart can be awakened through through uh through fear and so it is a time for uh for courage yeah for for us as as practitioners to find our courage and to lend our stability to lend the stability of our hearts to others um, you know metta of course classically was taught as a kind of antidote to to fear and um, um 
it's relevant. So this, this is a, a poem from a new translation of, um, of the Terigata. I think the, the book is called, uh, uh, the first free women, I think. And, um, the enlightened poems of, of early Buddhist nuns and a very beautiful new translation. And, uh, this is a, this is a poem, uh, from the nun, uh, Mita, uh, whose word is translated as friend. And these are, these are the kind of enlightenment tells of, of, um, of early nuns who knew the depth of, of freedom and their, um, moral force echoes through, uh, through the millennia. So this is Mita. Full of trust, you left home and soon learned to walk the path, making yourself a friend to everyone and making everyone a friend. When the whole world is your friend, fear will find no place to call home. And when you make the mind your friend, you'll know what trust really means. Listen, I have followed this path of friendship to its end. And I can say with absolute certainty, it will lead you home. Very powerful to, to hear the, the confidence of of our elders. And so this is a a moment, uh, maybe we say of of groundlessness and groundlessness can make us love or hate. Uh, It can open the heart in a in a radical surprising way or it can lead us to scramble for our ground and cling more tightly and so we're looking as practitioners like how do we find ways to love amidst groundlessness How do we find ways to let uncertainty uh, soften, melt our heart open? And of course, we we do this um, for ourselves and we do this for others, right? Because our emotional lives have profound ripples. They're kind of ripple effects. And we are, we're highly sensitive to the emotional cues of others. We're in moments like this, we, we really want to actually lend our, our stability to others um, because we, we can have a kind of outsized impact in moments like this, right? We're, we're offering the stability of our heart to others. And uh, this, this can, can be a kind of um, 
our lives become a quiet blessing for those around us. Yeah, this is the concert. Moments like this, uh, they, they remind us that there are no partitions in Indra's net. Yeah, that image of, of the web of interconnection, of interdependence. And uh, we, we, we depend on each other, like to a, to a deep extent, public health, public health measures depend on honoring the truth of interdependence. Because individual health is, is, is tied uh, inextricably to others, right? And so this is a moment when like altruism truly serves. Yeah, we all need to do our share to, to honor interdependence, to honor uh, mutuality. Mother, Mother Teresa said, um, uh, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Is that not true now? Hmm. The the Buddha lived in a time when uh, when there was so. Um, so little control over samsara um, and we we've gained an extraordinary amount of of influence but of course it's incomplete we do not govern uh, samsara and the Buddha, uh, amidst the the depth of powerlessness in the in the face of uh, conditions, um, suggested that uh, a kind of more radical letting go uh, that that made the observation that that any any clinging guarantees suffering because we're we're effectively trying to to steer samsara we're trying to govern that which cannot be governed we can influence much but control nothing and and so he said not apart from awakening and austerity not apart from sense restraint not apart from relinquishing all do I see any safety for living beings? Not apart from relinquishing all, do I see any safety for living beings? A very profound and provocative uh, reflection. And, uh, you know, I want to be uh, very sensitive to your your mind and heart and, uh, it may be that this perspective is actually 
supports your mind and maybe not and if it if not just just as as always put 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 it down but but i i feel uh compelled to share like this this more kind of um yeah radical letting go that is at the heart of the buddhist enterprise and so if if we can get even a little bit of space around this, if we can become even a little bit less afraid, the heart relaxes deeply. So the Buddha pointed out this very direct way that that just the wish to live carries a burden of dukkha. It is, it's precarious for the mind. And on the one hand, the wish to be well, to be safe, it's the most innocent wish there is. The longing for safety is so natural. And we, most of our life is dedicated to protecting that longing to offering safety to taking good care to uh, being a refuge for one another to supporting the health and safety of, of of loved ones of others and and uh it we may also find a certain measure of solace in the buddha's suggestion that that the deepest safety is in letting go. The deepest safety is in this deep letting go. The mind releasing that kind of clenched fist of clinging. And, you know, for, for me, just in having some, you know, in potentially having exposure to, uh, to this virus, it was a kind of interesting effect in my heart. It like, um, and, and I, I, I imagine I'll be all right, but obviously I don't know. And, but the, the effect was actually the, it sort of immediately something, uh, softened. Yeah. Something softened. There is a kind of, some of the anxiety just kind of melted and and i because i've been practicing letting go for a long time you know just in little ways of just we want to scratch the itch and we just stay we want to say something unskillful and we don't we we just like we practice a million little ways and then we actually develop a kind of deeper capacity for for letting go when uh, the stakes feel higher. And we, the Dharma offers, I feel, a, a kind of way to a path of living such that life feels complete. You know, like that feels like one of one of the one of the fruits of practice is a sense of life, uh, that life that was complete. Yeah, because from a place of clinging, we can sense that 
even if life were 200 years, even if we lived 500 years, even if we lived a thousand years, it might not feel like enough. It might not feel like enough. And so what, what creates that sense of, of enoughness uh, and Yeah, from what I can tell, it's um, it's to know the vastness of love, deep and pervasive and non-discriminating, to actually uh, dwell, to abide in that, to know that, and uh, and to know the many chambers of the mind to, to, to know oneself very deeply, to know experience very deeply. This leads maybe to some sense of, of, uh, okay, that was enough. That was, uh, my life is complete. Yeah. And it's it's not that we we don't want more, but there's a sense of like of of a certain kind of completion, yeah. And almost to want more maybe is some just just greed. So this experience, you know, like one of the cardinal experiences of the human life and of moments like this is some sense of of powerlessness and it's among the most desperate feelings that we have as a, as humans as an animal as a human animal and um, and there are times we get times in practice times maybe in our lives when uh, when the ego is all out of moves when the ego is all out of moves and all the scrambling to, to find the ground and to, to recapture agency. All of this is um, we're out of moves. Yeah. And I, I don't root for moments like this, um, but I, I feel like we we have to train for moments like that. We train for moments like that, and um, and so when when the ego's all out of moves, uh, what what is still left? What is still left is something like the refuge of love refuge of love that's still there i'm reading a book on uh, on saints right now um, kind of ordinary saints not not people we've heard of and uh and it's a kind of philosophical reflection on on being a saint and uh uh, the the writer doesn't use that term, but that's that's what seems right to me. And uh, 
and and then it's also vignettes of descriptions of of uh, of people who have just ordinary people who have devoted their lives in these like very beautiful ways they've committed their their ethical their ethical life and has been very devotional to the welfare of other beings and and the 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 writer um larissa mcfarquhar uh the book is called strangers drowning um she asks the question or at least she implies the question kind of like uh is it all right not to be a saint? Yeah. And I'm no saint. I'm no saint, but why not? Right? The answer to that question, is it all right not to be a saint? We look at our moral heroes. We look at at King or, or somebody, and it's just like, whoa, it's just unimaginable goodness. Yeah, you know? And, um, and it's like, wow, I am not that. But is it is it justifiable not to aspire to something like that depth of goodness? And if if not, why not? Yeah. And so, um, so we get to ask the question: like, what 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 kind of radical turning of the heart is possible? And um Mick Farquhar, she she describes, she calls these folks like I'm calling them saints, she calls them do-gooders. And um, um uh, and she's describing uh well I'll I'll just I'll read you read you a passage. So so as she's kind of musing the difference between us ordinary folks and 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 these uh these uh people who are going above and beyond. She writes this. There is one circumstance in which the extreme extremity of do-gooders looks normal, and that is war. In wartime or in a crisis so devastating that it resembles war, such as an earthquake or a hurricane, duty expands far beyond its peacetime boundaries. The line between family and strangers grows faint. It's usually assumed that the reason do-gooders are so rare is that it's human nature to care only for your own. There's some truth to this, of course, but it's also true that many people care only for their own because they believe it's human nature to do so. When expectations change, as they do in wartime, behavior changes too. In peacetime, selflessness can seem soft, a matter of too much empathy and too little self-respect. In war, selflessness looks like valor. In peacetime, a person who ignores all obligations, who does exactly as he pleases, can seem glamorous because he's amoral and free. But in wartime, duty becomes more exciting than ordinary liberty. This is the difference 
between do-gooders and ordinary people. For do-gooders, it is always wartime. They always feel themselves responsible for strangers. They always feel that strangers, like compatriots in war, are their own people. They consider themselves conscripted by duty. Um, it's inspiring and touching to me. Yeah. I'm not saying we're we're at war, but um, uh, it's it is a time for radical hearts. to actually find some way to um, transmute fear and anxiety into something uh, like uh, like love, service. Yeah, and, and that sense of we what our ethical inclinations are, are so profoundly shaped by cultural assumptions, by beliefs about human nature, beliefs about scarcity. Uh, And uh, let us put them down. Let us put them down. Let's see how, how radical our hearts might be. And so when, uh, yeah, when when our own self-absorption uh, fades, when we get a little bit of space, a little bit of courage, a little bit of of movement in the heart, uh, maybe there's this kind of. Uh, yeah, deeper trust in the the kind of refuge of love, conscripted by duty. Yeah, this can be our um, our concert. Yeah. Just sit for a minute together, please.
May the medicine of the Dhamma, may, may that medicine find us. May our lives be a kind of uh, anchor, a quiet blessing. May we not uh, underestimate uh, the capacity of our own hearts. And so I offer this for your, your consideration. Please uh, take whatever is useful. Leave the rest behind. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, may uh, may you all be may you be well. Yeah, I'm uh, happy to spend the, the evening with you. Okay, uh, you take uh, take good care and um, see you see you somewhere on the the Dharma campus. Okay, good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.